Exodus 14, 15 through 31. The Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to break camp. As for you, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it, so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. As for me, I'm going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go in after them, and I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh. All his army and his chariots and horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am Lord when I receive glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going in front of the Israelite forces, moved and went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and stood behind them. It came between the Egyptian and Israelite forces. There was a cloud and darkness. It lit up the night, and neither group came near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back with a powerful east wind all that night and, all that night and turned the sea into dry land. So the waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with the waters like a wall to them on their right and their left. The Egyptians set out in pursuit, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen, and went into the sea after them. During the morning watch, the Lord looked down at the Egyptian forces from the pillar of fire and cloud and threw the Egyptian forces into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve and made them drive with difficulty. Let's get away from Israel, the Egyptians said, because the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Yes. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water may come back on the Egyptians, on their chariots and horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea returned to its normal depth. When the Egyptians were trying to escape from it, the Lord threw them into the sea. The water came back and covered the chariots and horsemen, plus the entire army of Pharaoh that had gone after them into the sea. Not even one of them survived. But the Israelites had walked through the sea on dry ground, with the waters like a wall to them on their right and their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the power of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and believed in him and in his servant Moses. You may be seated this morning. Yeah, so I hope you don't have to use the restroom, and if you do, you have to hold it for about 40 minutes. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. So Father, we thank you for the privilege of coming together, worshiping, studying, fellowshipping, Communion, baptism, God, you are good. And here on Resurrection Sunday, we just are so thankful for your goodness, oh God. So right now, we just pray. So I want you to pray something like this in your heart. Pray, open my spiritual eyes and ears. Help me to hear and see what you want me to hear and see this morning, oh Lord. Scott, we bring this time under your kingdom authority rule. We pray that you'll reign and rule over every aspect of everything that happens here this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. If you agree with that, say amen this morning. 
All right. So, um, you know, it's maybe your first Sunday here, coming to visit or whatever, and you're wondering, you know, Resurrection Sunday, why are we in Exodus? Because we go verse by verse through the Bible, and we are in the book of Exodus, and when it comes Resurrection Sunday, when it comes Christmas, we just keep on going right through those same scriptures. But we will talk about the resurrection a little bit this morning. Our title this morning is No Longer Slaves. Don't you think about this. The world that you live in today, especially here in America, it is a growing secular worldview. Now, a secular worldview, what that means is that we have, in our culture, we have more and more people that are believing that there is no God. A secular worldview says that everything just happens by chance, that, you know, it's luck, and it's just, you know, there's a natural law to everything, and God, there isn't a God, and there isn't a God that's in control. So that's what the secular worldview is. So, also, there's something called natural theology and revealed theology. So there's a lot of people today that say, you know, they, they believe in God, but they believe in what's called a natural theology. They're seeking to understand the existence and nature of God through the use of reason, observation, and experience. So what they're saying is they believe that science is above the Bible. Now see, what I believe in is I believe in what's called revealed theology. Now revealed theology, that's based on the scripture, the Bible. So I believe the Bible is the authoritative, inerrant word of God. If the Bible says it, then that settles it. I believe every single word of the Bible is inspired of God. So you have to, let's give that context also. So many of you, you've never heard me preach before, just understand this. That's the worldview that I'm coming from this morning as we talk about the scriptures. Now, in revealed theology, here's what we've got. We've got everything that we want to know about everything in the Bible. We know about the existence and the nature of God. Tells us, the Bible tells us that. It tells us about the creation, the fall of man, and the nature of humanity. We learn about early, I mean, we go all the way back to the very beginning, Adam and Eve. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, that's as far back in history as you can go. The Bible starts off with a story of creation and Adam and Eve. And then Israel's history, we also have the life of Jesus. We're gonna talk about that a little bit this morning as well. And then prophecy. There was a prophecy about the birth of Jesus and all that that was perfectly fulfilled. And then yet there's a whole lot of prophecy that is yet to be fulfilled, and that's the end time events. We find all of that in the scripture. We, we learn about human sin, the fall in Genesis chapter three. We learn about redemption through Christ. We learn about your kingdom purpose, and then your identity in Christ when you're saved. All these things come from what's revealed in the scripture. You don't get that from science. You don't get that from the world. You get that from the Bible, and the Bible only. So let's talk about this biblical worldview right here. Look at the generations here. This is when they're born, 1928 to 4. That's called the silent generation. 21% of them say today, this is, comes from the American Worldview Inventory, 2021-22. It's an annual report on the state of the worldview in the United States. So according to that, just taken, the silent generation, 21% of them, they have a biblical worldview. The baby boomers, 16%. Generation X, 10% than many of you that are millennials here this morning, 6%, and look at it, do you see the dropping? Every single generation is dropping. But hey, that's not, I got some good news for you this morning though, okay? Check this out. According to this same survey right here, 83% of Americans believe in God. 78% believe there's an afterlife. I don't know what happens to the 5% in there, but I don't know. 55% of Americans pray at least one time a day. That is encouraging to me. Now, this morning, let's think about this. In the Bible, we've got some huge 
supernatural things. So I gotta ask you this morning, do you believe in a supernatural God? Because the Bible is full of supernatural events. And we live in a world today like when something supernatural happens, we try to explain it in a natural way. We like, we'll pray for God to do some kind of massive deliverance or help us through something, and then whenever it happens, well, man, I sure did get lucky, didn't I? We get a natural response to that instead of giving God glory for what he's done. So I got just six right here, just six supernatural events. So today, are you a Christian? Are you in Christ? Are you born again? So if you're saying yes to all of those, these six right here are essential that we find in the Bible. Look at this. Number one. That's a big one right there. Without the resurrection of Jesus, we don't need to be here. You are not a Christian without the resurrection of Jesus. Impossible. Then you got the ascension of Jesus. After his resurrection, he ascended into heaven. The disciples saw him bodily ascend into heaven. The virgin birth. 100% God, 100% man. His resurrection, his death, and burial and resurrection is nothing if he's not the virgin birth. You take that out. And then you got the creation of the universe. Kind of a big deal, too. The parting of the Red Sea, we're going to talk about that this morning. And then we're going to also talk about not just Jesus, but there's eight other people that saw resurrection in the Bible. But this morning, two, we're going to look at, especially in the text. Before we get to Exodus, let's look at Hebrews. What is your faith? Do you believe? Do you have faith? The Bible says, now faith is the reality of what is hoped for. And it is the proof, interesting word right there, in the Greek. That word right here is elikos. That means assurance, conviction, also be rendered proof or evidence. So it's the proof, the evidence. So I ask you this morning, how strong is your conviction in Christ this morning? Do you believe, I mean, like, we're here on Resurrection Sunday. Do you 100% believe in the resurrection of Jesus? I say, you, if you say yes, a bunch of y'all did, realize this. It was a day just like today. There's some people right here that didn't believe in Christ. Flip over, take a sheet of paper and flip it over that we handed you when you came in. See that? On the back of that, you'll see a top-selling Christian apologist. And apologist, what that is. Now, in Greek, apology means to make a defense for Christianity. These guys right here, they started off as non-believers. To go prove there was no Jesus. To go prove there was no resurrection. And when they set out to prove there was no resurrection, when they got down to the proof, they realized there was a resurrection, and they became Christians. And these are some of the books they wrote. And here, you can watch this on Amazon, I think. It's a movie. It's a pretty good movie about his story. But see, we can look at that and go, you know what, David? Yeah, man, those people are selling books. They're making money. You know, I, I don't know about that. Okay, so here's what aggravates me to no end. So we live in a world that says, you know what? Christianity is for ignorant, stupid people, fearful people. And the highly intelligent people, they believe in science, and they believe in all these other things, and that's just for you people that aren't very educated and aren't very smart. Okay, so that being said, if you've heard that before, listen, I'll tell you something right now this morning, okay? Get this. I'm not trying to argue into the kingdom of God. I will never try to argue someone into the kingdom of God. What I want to show you this morning is that if you are a believer and you are in the kingdom of God, let me show you some of the proof that backs up where we stand in Christ Jesus this morning. Is that, is that okay with you? Is that good? So here are some of the most intelligent, brilliant people in our world today, 
And they were atheists and non-believers. Listen, listen to this. This is Francis Collins right here. Collins is a geneticist, the physician who led the Human Genome Project. He led that thing. Max, this dude is brilliant. He was raised in a secular household and was an agnostic for much of his life. However, after studying the evidence of Christ for Christianity, he became convinced of his truth and converted and has since written several books on the intersection of science and faith, including the language of God. Another one, Rosalind Picard right here. Picard is a computer scientist and engineer who was raised in an atheist household. She's a professor at MIT, by the way, right now. She became interested in Christianity after studying the life and teachings of Jesus and experienced a sense of peace and joy that she had not felt before. She had since become a Christian and has written about her experience in the book, Effective Com Computing. And then there's Holly Ordway. Ordway is a former atheist who became a Christian after studying the works of C.S. Lewis. She had been a skeptical of Christianity and the Bible, but after reading Lewis's writings, she began to see the beauty and truth of Christianity. She has since became a Christian apologist and has written several books on Christianity, including Not God's Top, An Atheist Academic Lays Down Her Arms. So those are some of the most brilliant people in our world today. When they set out to prove Christianity wrong, it proved them wrong. So, so okay, now, let me tell you something. I don't care about any of that, tell you the truth. Because I know this, I know what's happened in my heart. I know what the resurrection of Jesus, how that has transformed my heart. I don't need brilliant people to back me up. I don't need anything. I've got the Bible backing that up, and then I've got the experience of what God has done in my life. So listen, if you're sitting here this morning and God has transformed your life, you don't need proof from the world, okay? So I mean, just let's just get that right off the bat. I've got all the proof I need in a transformed life, okay? So now, all the way back, speaking about we believe in the Bible, let's go all the way back to Exodus. We're going back 1,000 years before Jesus. And what has happened here is that the nation of Israel was in Egyptian bondage over here for, it was there for 400 years, ended up in Egyptian bondage. And God is taking them and exiting them out, book of Exodus, exiting them out of Egypt, the land of Goshen, and bringing them over here to Canaan, which current day Israel. On this journey, Two and a half weeks by foot right here, it ends up being 40 years wandering around in the wilderness. So what we've got is we've got God leading them to the Red Sea crossing. You ever heard of that? And hey, listen, in my opinion, the biggest miracle in the Old Testament, biggest miracle of all, resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Both of those we'll talk about this morning. So we've got... This is what the terrain, these are all mountains. This right here is where I believe they crossed. You see that? That's a beach right there. Let me show you something. So many people have studied this, and there's a natural pathway right through the mountains that comes up right to that beach. And when they get to that beach, they're hemmed in, the whole nation of Israel, about 3 million people. Mountains on this side, Gulf of Aqaba, Red Sea on this side, and we've got Pharaoh bearing down on them. Here's that beach. Right here, you see where the pathway comes out? Right there, God just, God created it that way. This is the, this is the path leading up, current day, the picture. There's a Gulf of Aqaba or the Red Sea right there. And let's look at this. By 1970s, there's was Ron White. You go, I don't know if y'all, have y'all seen his documentaries, Ron White? Maybe no, okay. So anyway, go check it out, it's pretty good. In the 1970s, he went over there. 
He got arrested while he was there, by the way. He spent about 40-something days in prison because they thought he was a spy for the Americans because it was illegal to do what he was doing. So he went over there. He took pictures. These are some pillars that Solomon had set up at the, that site I showed you to commemorate the Red Sea crossing. On those pillars, he had words um, that contained Egypt, Solomon, Edom, death, Pharaoh, Moses, Yahweh, all those indicating that Solomon was saying this is where the Red Sea crossing happened. Look at this, Exodus chapter 14, verses 15 through 31. The Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? So the whole nation of Israel, they're hemmed in. Are you with me? Say amen. amen. They've, got, they've got Pharaoh bearing down on them, Red Sea on this side, mountains. I mean, it is a hopeless situation. They turned to Moses and they said, why did you bring us here? Because you want us to die here in the wilderness instead of in Egypt? So there they are. They're crying out. The Lord says to Moses, man, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to break camp. As for you, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it so that the Israelites can go through. Why on earth does God need Moses to lift his hands up? Does, does God need Moses' help? God doesn't need our help either. But God is allowing Moses to participate with him. Are you tracking with me this morning, church? God does not need our help. That's good news. That should be relief off your shoulders right now. He does not need your help, but he allows you to join him in his kingdom work. That's the good news this morning. And that leads us to number one on your outline you've got there. Look at this. To serve God and his kingdom purpose, because he has a kingdom purpose for everything and everyone. Here's our good news for you today. God has got a kingdom purpose for your life. And look at this. To serve that purpose, we must rely on the Holy Spirit. Have you got the Holy Spirit inside of you? Well, if you're born again, you do. You need to enable you. Enable us to see beyond our current circumstances and recognize his work in the world. Because for the nation of Israel, their current circumstances was certain doom. Pharaoh coming down to kill them. Red Sea on this side to drown them. Mountains around them, no hope of getting out alive. But listen, our God's a way maker, right? Some of y'all sing that song, huh? He makes a way where there is no way. He, tur he turns the graves into gardens. He's a, he makes way. I mean, like, so God, listen, I mean, you got to understand something. Sometimes God will intentionally hem you in to where you've got nowhere to turn but to him. There's no hope but him. Doctors can't help you. Mom and dad can't help you. Your boss can't help you. Your finances can't help you. Your church can't help you. Your pastor can't help you. Nothing can, only God. And sometimes when we get to that place, God's intentionally got us there because God wants to show himself strong in your life. As for me, what God says, I'm going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I'll receive glory by means of Pharaoh, all his army and his chariots and his horsemen. Number two, moving quickly through your outline there. So once you get that filled out, flip it back over again on the back side. We've got a whole bunch of resources here to help nourish your spiritual life, by the way. There's a resource room when you leave out here. Those resources in that resource room <clears throat> are at no cost to you, okay? On our website, 
We've got all the past teachings. We go verse by verse. We went through all these. You can look those up, watch them on YouTube, listen to them on Spotify. We've got, we've got a, a prayer guide to help you in your prayers on our website and here in the, the resource room as well. All kinds of stuff, no cost to you because we want to see your spiritual life. You have the ability to nourish that. Because here's what I know, that if you don't nourish that, <laughs> then your heart's naturally going to harden towards God and his kingdom purpose. The devil doesn't need to work on me. If I just stop reading my Bible and praying, my heart will naturally turn away from God and his kingdom purpose. It's not, none of us are good enough. None of us are good. We can just force ourselves, discipline ourselves. Man, I'm going to be godly. You don't make up your mind to be godly and be godly. You, you, listen, you, you repent of your sin. You join God in what he's doing. And he, it's his godliness, not our godliness. Are you with me this morning? It's not about how good you are. It's about how good he is. It's about your position in Christ and not your performance for Christ. He's not wanting you to perform to be good enough. He's already done all the performing for you. All he wants you to do is position yourself in the right position. So that's my question for you today. Are you positioned in Christ? Yes. See, some of you right now, you're sitting here and you're like, I just don't, I don't think I'm, I'm there. I mean, I don't think I'm, okay, listen. It's not about how good you worked. It's not about how good you are. It's about your position in Christ. Do you believe Jesus is God? Do you believe he died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe that his death on the cross pays for all of your sins, and now you can be in Christ Jesus. Yes. Hey, listen, if you said yes to all of those 100%, I got good news for you. That's a supernatural act of God in your life. Yes. Holy Spirit put that in you. Man, that's a, that's a great thing today. Back to our story. The Egyptians will know that I am the Yahweh. When I receive glory through Pharaoh and his chariots and his horse, because God's always going to receive his glory, people. Hey, listen, I'll tell you something. As, as we look at that, that diminishing biblical worldview with every generation, let me tell you something. I, you can take this or leave it. Here's my opinion. I believe a massive generation, Generation Z, I believe, is going to be bring one of the biggest revivals we've ever seen. Yeah. We are set up perfectly for another revival. Every time that this culture goes down and down and down, we, listen, Listen, I know many of you right now, you're like, man, that whole identity crisis thing is about to make me lose my mind. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Hey, listen, every time I see it, I go, revival's coming. Every time I see that, every time it goes, because you know what? Here's what I know. Our true identity is found in no place other than Christ. And the more we start to go off in that wrong direction, it's just a setup. We're all getting trapped in. Bro, man, there's no way out. We're going, with terrible culture. It's all going to come to an end. And God's going to split the Red Sea one of these days. And all of a sudden, you're going to see a big revival happen. You're going to go, praise the Lord. That's what I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that. Take it or leave it. I'm no prophet. I just read the Bible. But now that look at, looking at history, though, that's what I believe. A big revival's coming. Then the angel of God, who was going in front of the Israelite forces. Man, you got an angel of God with you. If you're in Christ, the Bible says you've got guardian angels. Plural. Good news. Not just one. Plural. They moved and they went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and it stood behind them. So God is protecting them. I mean, listen, I, I, I know that y'all listen to me every Sunday. I go nuts over this every Sunday. And this is why. When you live under the kingdom authority rule of Jesus, that he's going to be taking care of you. 
You don't have to worry about death. You don't have to worry about accidents. You don't have to worry about your money. You don't have to worry about anything. He is going to take care of you. But you have to make the choice to live under his kingdom authority rule. See, here's the situation. You don't have to do that. You can go your own way, live your own life, and you suffer the consequences for that. God will lovingly discipline you back to his kingdom authority rule, by the way. Man, listen, it's a whole lot easier to do it now. Your own choice. God, God protecting you. I mean, I said, listen, I mean, I'm not trying to sell you something here, but it is a good deal. He's going in front of them. He moved around. He's protecting them from Pharaoh. He came between the Egyptians and the Israelites. Man, there is something between you and your enemies today if you're in Christ Jesus. And there was a cloud and darkness, and every theologian I read does not understand this. You know why? Because none of us were there. And when you, this is a supernatural act of God, you cannot scientifically explain this. It was a cloud and darkness. It lit up the night. What? How does a cloud and darkness light up the night? Oh, by the way, this is happening at nighttime. I know, listen, you watch the Ten Commandments, they try to make it look, this is May 1950 something, okay? If you watch it, they tried to make it look like night time. This happened at night. Listen, are you listening to me say amen? Because this is important on Resurrection Sunday. It lit up the night. So it's darkness on the side of God's enemies, and it's light on the side of God's children. Now, I know somewhere in the Bible I read Jesus talking about he being the light of the world. If we walk in him, then we walk in the light. It lit up the night. Man, has your night been lit up? And neither group came near the other all night long. See, you got some protection. Some of y'all got some protection over you. You don't even know. And I don't know. No one knows what it looks like. I don't, I don't think that you can make it fascinating enough. I believe that, you know, when they walk down the Red Sea, I, I watched the Ten Commandments last night, as a matter of fact. I, got, I, I own, I watched that little section of them walking down the 1950 version, you know. And they're all walking down and cheering. I would think that they were walking down crying and scared to death yeah. as they were walking in. I mean, like, I, could, I don't think that it was just some wonderful, beautiful music. I think that there was thunder and lightning because everywhere in the Old Testament where God's presence was, there's thunder and there's lightning and the people are scared to death. Then Moses stretched out his hands over the sea because God's letting him participate. Just like when you pray, he's letting you participate. He doesn't need your help. He doesn't even need your prayers. He's allowing you to participate. And the Lord drove the sea back with a powerful east wind all night long. East wind always speaks of judgment in the Old Testament, by the way. Hey, did I tell you all this is supernatural? I know people listen. I know you listen to scientists and stuff like that to try to make this into a natural event about it blowing the wind, blowing the sea, and the sea was shallow and all that. It's a bunch of baloney. Listen, it's not that I know more than they know. I'm just looking at what the Bible says. And the Bible's talking about a supernatural, powerful act of God. And it turned the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. Now, on the natural side of this, there is an interesting thing that happened here. Oh, there's a picture of the real Moses, by the way, if he's wondering. We have got a picture of the real Moses. <clears throat> so here's where they cross. Interesting thing. On both sides of where this crossing would take, look at how deep, man. It's just deep. It goes real, real deep. Right here, there's a flat spot from that beach to the other side. 200 foot deep, but it's flat. But here's the interesting thing. 
If you know anything about you guys that fish and everything and look at your graphs, you know this. There is a slow, slow, it's a slow enough decline going in and coming out for there would be wheelchair accessible today. It would qualify as wheelchair accessible today. The other interesting thing is that when you've got these deep coming currents coming from both sides, it would naturally harden that part of the base of the sea. There's a little bit of natural stuff right there that happens, okay? As if God created it that way because he knew what was going to happen. Ron White, when he went under, he went to that, that area right there, and he went under the water, and he photographed these things. He saw some interesting things. He saw a gold chariot wheel under there. You can't take them out, by the way. It's against all the signs on the side that says you can't take anything out of there. And they have coral growing on them. The coral doesn't just grow on the ocean floor. It has to have something attached to it to grow. There's all kinds of chariot wheels all through that section under the Red Sea. <coughs> Excuse me. Mm. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground. Do you see where it says they went through? No, 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 hang on. I said, did you see where they went through? Okay, three of y'all saw that. Do you see where they went through? <laughs> this is important this morning. They went through, see, because, listen, God's not going to deliver you out of all of your problems. He's going to deliver you through your problems. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire furnace didn't rescue them out, but he went into the fire with them. Are you with me now? So he will go through your problems with you, through your struggles, through your heartaches, through your impossible situations. He will go with you through it. So they went, the dry ground, the water's like a wall on them, on their right and on their left. Oh, but listen, different story here. The Egyptians, the enemies of God, they set out in pursuit. All Pharaoh's horses and his chariots and his horsemen, and they didn't go through it, did they? You see what it says? Difference between going through it and going into it. It says they went into the sea. Why did they go into the sea? One word is why they went into the sea. That one word, you narrowed all the way down to one word, it's called pride. That's why they went in. They were so proud. Listen, I'll tell you something. The most dangerous sin that all of us have, are you listening to me? You got it too. We all got it. Because you got flesh. The Bible calls it a sin nature. The most dangerous sin we all have is pride. And the most dangerous thing about pride is it's invisible in the mirror. Everybody else can see our pride but us. I'm not prideful. I'm a very humble person. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> they went in. Their pride drove them in during the morning watch. Uh-oh. We gonna went all the way through the night. Are you telling me that we went through during the night? Are you hearing me? During the dark, darkness of the night? That's when God let us through? Some of y'all been through, huh? Some of y'all been through some stuff, haven't you? During the morning watch, the Lord looked down at the Egyptian forces from the pillar of fire in the cloud, and he threw the Egyptian forces into confusion because God can do that. Anybody that goes against God, God can throw their whole forces into confusion. Some of y'all are trying to throw them into confusion, and God's whipping you. You need to stop trying to throw them into confusion, and you need to start praying. You need to start asking God, what are you doing right now in this spot, this tight spot that I'm in? The problem with my kids, the problem with my grandchildren, the problem with my job. God, what are you doing? And grant me the ability to join you in that. He calls the chariot wheels, the inanimate objects, because he can, he can do anything, anytime he wants to, with anything. 
He caused them to swerve, and he made them drive with difficulty. Some of y'all thinking about your car right now, aren't you? <laughs> Let's get away from Israel, the Egyptians said, because Yahweh is fighting for them. You just now got that? I mean, we, just, we already been through the ten plagues, right? I mean, now they see the sea open, they're getting away, and they get down there in the middle, and all of a sudden their chariots are messed up. They go, oh, good, we're messed up. It took that, your chariots, to mess up before you finally got it? Hey, listen, we need to pay attention, right? I mean, like, if I got my spiritual eyes closed, I think everything's called a science, it's all natural theology, then you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to find myself in the bottom of the Red Sea with my chariots all jacked up, thinking, oh, my goodness, I went the wrong way, did the wrong thing. And you know what got me there? My pride is what got me there. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea. Moses gets to participate again. Why does the Bible tell you to pray without ceasing? Because God needs your information? Because you need God, and he wants you to participate with him. Stretch out your hand over the sea so that, because when you do this, Moses, and the water may come back on the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. So let me ask you a question. Do you think Moses sat there and argued with God and said, no, God, you know, that's just inhumane. Let's just let them chew away to the other side and live. These Egyptians had been killing them, and their intentions were bad against them, and they were going to kill them, and God is going to wipe them out because they are the enemies of God. Hey, listen, I know we live in a culture right now that's not popular. We live in a culture today that preachers are scared to preach from the Old Testament because we don't want to hurt people's feelings. Hey, listen, we need our feelings hurt. Our feelings are way too sensitive in the culture that we live in. Well, listen, it comes down to this. Do you believe the Bible? If you believe the Bible's inerrant, inspired, authoritative, word of God, then your feelings can get hurt and you'll be okay because you know God's good. You know, in the end, even when it doesn't make sense, that God is good. If you're saying in this morning, you're struggling with God being good, then I'll tell you something, you're gonna get your feelings hurt before you get out of here this morning. I can guarantee you that. So the water may come back on the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen because they got to die. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. Oh, there it is. Why on earth would we put daybreak? Why does that matter in the biblical narrative that it happened at daybreak? Well, I'm glad you asked. We'll talk about that in just a moment. And the sea turned on to its normal depth while the Egyptians were trying to escape from it. And the Yahweh threw them into the sea. God's the one that did it. Now then, here we are. Resurrection Sunday. Look at this. Saturday evening. While the Sabbath ended. When the Sabbath ended, Sabbath is Saturday. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning. What a coincidence. Just at sunrise. Just at sunrise. You know, hey, listen, let me tell you something. You know what crossing the Red Sea is? It's a new beginning. When they get across on the other side and they see the Egyptian army is gone, they are no longer slaves. Let me ask you a question this morning. See, some of y'all are no longer slaves. You at one time, you were a slave to your sin. At one time, you were enslaved to the world, the flesh, and or the devil. And Jesus has set you free. When they got to us, this is a new identity. They're no longer slaves. They're now the children of God, and they're headed for the kingdom of God, which is called the promised land. You can live in the kingdom of God here and now. 
Jesus has purchased your right. He's the king of the kingdom of God. You've got a kingdom purpose in the kingdom of God. He's the king. When you live under his authority rule, listen, it is a new identity. That's your identity. That's, that's your purpose. That's, that's why you are still here. That's why your heart is beating. That's why oxygen, that's why your mind is thinking. All this other baloney and crap that the world is selling you is that. It's crap. And it's all going to sink to the bottom of the ocean and get covered up and destroyed. And his children are going to come out on the other side. Redeemed, purchased, born again, baptized for a new life in Christ. So just a sunrise. Okay, here's one of my favorite verses, okay? I know, listen, this is weird, but I love this. Verse 3, look at this. On the way, these women were asking each other, who's going to roll away the stone for us? Do you know why that's my favorite one? Because they did not expect the resurrection. None of them expected it. Even though Jesus said it over and over, they were not expecting the resurrection. They thought when they got there, we got a problem because they, they rolled that stone so no one would steal the body away. That's a problem for us. But as they arrived, they looked up and they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. Because one of the other gospel writers said that an angel rolled it away and he sat on it. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked. But the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. <laughs> Exclamation mark. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go tell his disciples, including the one that denied him three times. The one that, the one that feeling terrible right now. The one that doesn't feel worthy. Tell, make sure you get the message to that one. That Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. Resurrection power changes everything. Let me ask you something. Do you think when they went down away from that grave that they were walking a different way than when they came in? Do you think they came in? They're like, oh, who's going to roll away the stone? And when they went away, they were shouting and jumping and yelling and hands. They were celebrating on the way out. The crossing of the Red Sea at daybreak, it represents a profound theological symbol of salvation, hope, and new beginnings. Man, I'm wondering today, is there anybody here today that's saved? Is there anybody here today that's filled with a hope of resurrection? Is there anybody here today that's had a new beginning? You're going to see about six people get baptized this morning, by the way. Six representations, testimonies to the rest of the world saying, man, I got a new beginning in Christ. Buried, listen, buried down in death, in the Red Sea, no hope, the darkest of night, to resurrected to a new life, a new identity in the kingdom of Jesus. Yeah. And the water came back, it covered the chariots of horsemen, plus the entire army of Pharaoh that had gone after them into the sea. Not even one of them survived. But the Israelites had walked through the sea on dry ground with water like a wall to them on their right and on their left. That day, Yahweh saved Israel from the powers of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead. Can you imagine? They saw them dead. I mean, like, 
Can you imagine what they must have been feeling? Their pain and their misery and their suffering just came to an end. They, They can't hurt them anymore. You realize something? The devil is a defeated foe. Jesus defeated him completely. It's gone. It's over. It's finished. When the Israelites saw the great power that Yahweh used against the Egyptians, the people feared Yahweh and they believed in him and in his servant Moses. When they saw that great miracle, now hold on, listen, you guys that come listen to me preach every week, hold on to that for about two weeks, okay? Because about two weeks later, when things get hard, they do the same thing we do, and they start complaining and going to go back to Egypt. They get mad at everybody and everything, and God, Moses, all of them want to go back. See, because you know what we do? Man, we go through the Red Sea. Say amen if you're tracking with me. We get on the other side. We rejoice. Our enemies have been defeated. We got a new life in Christ, and we turn around, and we walk a few steps, and all that stuff that drowned there in that ocean, we oh, wait a second. I need that right there. Oh, there's Fluffy over there. Fluffy, come here. <laughs> Some of y'all know I'm talking. Fluffy's that pet sin that we coddle, that we justify. I gotta get Fluffy. Come here. I'll get a new Fluffy. A new pet sin. Because our flesh always draws us in that direction. Some of you right now, you're living under condemnation. Hey, I asked you a while ago, are you in Christ? Romans 8:1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. God's not condemning you. Your flesh will condemn you. The devil will condemn you. And this world you live in, well, they will all line up to condemn you. But there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Oh, yeah, number four. Trials and challenges. Hard stuff you're going through right now, getting hemmed in there, no hope, no way out. It's going to test and strengthen. Some of you right now, you feel like that stuff isn't strengthening you. You feel like it's beating you down and weakening you. But God is strengthening you right now in this test that you're in. It it tests and strengthens our faith as it forces us to trust in God's power and provision. We don't like that one, though. Let's just be honest, okay? None of us are like, yeah, man, bring on the trials. Bring on the suffering. I want more faith. In our right mind, we don't say that. But, But, hey, you know what? One of these days, when you get then and there in heaven, in Christ Jesus, you'll be glad for all the trials the Lord brought you through, for how he strengthened your faith. Hey, listen, everybody look up here just a minute. Look at me, look at me. Hey, you're going to die. The Lord tarries is coming. You are going to die. You will step over into eternity, and that's forever. And what you did here and now is going to matter forever. You will not regret being here on that day. You will not regret the sacrifices you made for the Lord on that day. You will not regret the people that you sacrificed for on that day. So just know this. That day is coming, and it's approaching quickly. None of us know it's coming. So we've got to focus on that. Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Yes. Can I show you a few things before we get on with the celebration? Let me show you a few things right quick. There's eight resurrections in the Old Testament. Elijah, Elisha, right in the middle of these three in the Old Testament. Then there's five in the New Testament. Jesus raised Lazarus. He also raised the widow of Nain's son. Jesus raised a daughter of Jairus. Peter raised Tabitha. And Paul raised Eutychus. But nobody raised Jesus from the dead. Do you hear me? Nobody raised Jesus. 
Jesus raised Jesus from the dead. He said before, well, yeah, I think I got this. Here we go. No one could take my life from me, what Jesus said. No one, do you know why? Do you know why no one could kill Jesus? Because he is God. You can't kill God. No one takes my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority. Key word right there. You need to keep coming to church if that, if that confuses you. I have the authority to lay it down. And when I want to, also to take it up again, for this is what my Father has commanded. Then another place, he said, all right, Jesus explained, talking to the religious leaders, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. What, they exclaimed? It's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you can rebuild it in three days? Ah, uh, but when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. So Jesus said, I'm going to lay it down, and I'm going to take it back up again. So let's talk about the evidence of the resurrection real fast. You know a preacher's lying when he says real, real fast, right? Yeah. Mm, well, I say that. The empty tomb. The, test, you know, the, first, the first people that went to the empty tomb, no, they were. They were the women. In Greco-Roman culture at that time, a woman, her, her testimony meant nothing. If they're going to make the story up, they would not make the story up that women found the, the two empty tomb of Jesus, okay? They would say, I found it. And then there's the absence of convincing alternative explanation. Listen, if he did not resurrect from the dead, you know what the Jewish authorities would have done? They'd have brought his body out there and said, here it is. They couldn't steal the, the body away because the Roman soldiers would have killed them if they tried to do that. The Roman soldiers were guarding the, the tomb. Because that's a lack of motive for the disciples also. Because if they, by saying this, by saying Jesus resurrected from the dead, they essentially were willing to die. They're going to have to die for that. And the early date of the tomb tradition the archaeological evidence. So if you go back and you study the empty tomb, all of history around that, Christian and non-Christian, they're all talking about the event that happened. It's all, I mean, that's all recorded. Look at, write that one down if you're interested in reading about that. There was a lot of skeptics who didn't believe in the resurrection when they saw Jesus after his resurrection changed their hearts. There was over 500 people at one time that saw Jesus after the resurrection. You got consistency of the accounts, the early tradition we just talked about, then the transformation of the disciples. Some of them were initial skeptics. James, Jesus' half-brother, didn't believe until he saw him. You know, of course, you know Doubting Thomas. And then you've got the boldness after the resurrection of the disciples. They were hiding in the upper room when Jesus came for them. You know that? They were scared to death. And then you just go just right over to Acts, and they're willing to die. They all died with the exception of John for their faith. And listen, if, it was a, if they made it up, one of them along the way would have stopped and said, hey, you know what, we made it all up, don't kill me. Every single one of them died for it because they saw the resurrected Jesus. And then if you look just a few decades after the event, the whole Roman world has turned into Christian. It's amazing. So here's Tactus right here. He's a Roman historian. He talked about Jesus. He talks about him suffering under the penalty under Pontius Pilate. And then there's Josephus. He was non-Christian also. He was a Jewish historian. And he talked about how that Pilate also had him crucified and that he appeared alive to his disciples again on the third day. That is secular history. These are non-Christians that wrote about it. Not to mention all the Christian stuff outside the Bible around that event that talks about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It is a proven, documented fact. And the world wants you to think that it's not. You can go visit the empty tomb today. It's there. 
So, like I said, I'm not trying to convince you of anything. I'm not trying to argue you into it. Because here's what I know. That your faith is a gift from God. Vi verse after verse in the Bible says that if you have faith that that came from God. So, I started off this morning asking you, do you believe in Jesus? I heard a whole bunch of y'all say yes. That you're saved. That is a gift from God to you. If you believe, that's a gift. That means God is working in your heart. Y'all all stand up if you would, please. So we saw how it began. Now I'm going to read to you how it's all going to end. We're going to read out of the book of Revelation. Then I saw heaven open, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and he judges, and he makes war with justice. His eyes were like fiery flames, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses, wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress in the fierce anger of God, the Almighty. And he has a name that's written on his robe and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. He will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, <clears throat> I am making everything new. So he is making everything new, church. Praise the Lord today. Everything is being made new. So both the spirit and the pride say come. Let anyone who hears say come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water from life freely. So I testify to everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book. If anyone adds through them, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. 
And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of the prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and the holy city, which are written about this book. And he who testifies about these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with everyone. And the last word in the Bible is, amen. I mean, so be it. So I know that we are all packed in here, really tight this morning. So this morning we're going to kind of have to do things a little bit differently when we take communion. So we're going we're gonna to kind of all try to move in the same direction. So let's see if I can move this. Without spilling. Uh, I had a feeling that was going to happen. It's all good. It's closed, I think. Yeah. So here's what I'm going to do. So the elements are at the front and at the back. And in just a moment, we're going to, everybody's going to move this way. So everybody on this side, you'll move to this aisle. As you make your way out, circle back around your seat, and everybody on this aisle, you'll circle around this way, and the same way, go into the back. You'll circle out, you'll go this way, circle back around, and come back to your seat. Before you do, here's what I want to, I want to encourage you to do. So down here, we have also got these little placards. You see some of them that are on the cross, and we've got pins. So on these placards, what we've been doing is we've been writing our struggles, our anxieties, our worries, our fears, maybe even some of the sin that we've been struggling with. And we're writing on this placard and we're putting it on the cross. When we put it on the cross, that brings it to an end right there. That's, that is putting it on the cross, it's been paid for. So I would encourage this morning, if you got some kind of a struggle, if you got some kind of a worry, stress, or whatever it may be, when you come and you get your elements, grab one of these and grab a pen also. And take it back to your seat, and I'll give you some further instruction on that. So let's go ahead and start moving. So everybody start moving this direction right here. Even if you're not going to get communion, if you don't mind, just circling around, just starting at the front and at the back. So don't forget to grab the placard this morning. Get your pen also.
So you can go ahead and you know, write that, whatever you want to, write it on that. And hearing just uh, the closing of the service, we'll talk some more about this and you can put it on the cross. But just go ahead if you want to write on that and hang on to that for just a moment. So communion, communion is a time that we commune with the Lord and we commune with one another. This is like the most sacred thing that we do ever in life, not just in church, but ever in life. So if you're in Christ and you're ready to take communion, that's a great thing. But maybe, I know that sometimes I've been at places where, you know, they're, they're offering communion. And then when it came down to it, I was sitting there kind of like you are, and I'm like, you know, I'm just not really ready you know, kind of feel rushed into this. You maybe get up and walk up here and like, I'm be focused. So I want to offer you an opportunity to kind of focus for just a moment. I think you know, the, one of the most important things is that when we're taking communion, it's, just, it's, it's all about the remembering the death of Jesus. And the death of Jesus is what sets us for the forgiveness of all of our sins. It's a wonderful, wonderful gift. As we think about that and we contemplate the death of Jesus, we want to make sure that we've got all of our sin between us and God is taken care of. So all of your sins, when you're in Christ, are forgiven. But sometimes when we don't confess them, we just kind of let them build up, and it kind of builds a barrier between us and God. So in confessing, what we're doing is we're coming into agreement with God, and we're saying, God, you know, this is a sin I committed, and we're just kind of sweeping it off out of the way where everything between us and him is all cleared out to where now we can truly commune with God. So this is based on Psalm 139, 30, uh, 22, 23 through 24. And here's a verse that says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. So we're asking God, you know, we know that God knows our hearts. So we're asking him to do something. Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. So we're asking God to reveal to us any sin that stands between us and sin. Because sometimes we can be deceived and not know that there is some sin in our life. We're just not aware of it. So as you take a moment right now, I want you just to pray for just a moment. Say, God, just open my spiritual eyes and ears. Is there anything that stands between you and, you and I? So if something popped into your head, you know, just bring it before the Lord, lay it at his feet. And say, God, just forgive me. This was sin. I was wrong. Grant me repentance, because repentance comes from God also. So now if you, if you would, let's look back at the screen again. And here's a, now, this is responsive reading. If you feel comfortable, you can do this with me. If you don't feel comfortable, then that's fine. Search us, O God, and know our hearts. Test us and know our anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. Let us confess our sins before the Lord and ask for his forgiveness and cleansing. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Wash us thoroughly from our sin. Let us remember the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us on the cross and the victory he won through his resurrection. We remember Jesus' sacrifice and celebrate his resurrection. Let us partake of the bread and the cup with gratitude and joy. 
We partake of the bread and the cup with gratitude and joy, remembering Jesus' love for us and his redeeming work on the cross. Let us now approach the table of the Lord with reverence and humility. We approach the table of the Lord with reverence and humility and partake of these elements in faith, trusting in grace and mercy of our loving God. Amen. So I want you to take, if you would, let's go ahead and open up. So this bread right here, it represents the body of Christ. If you would, look at the screen. It's, this is what Paul said, for I received from the Lord. He's right in the church at Corinth. I want to also pass on to you on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So look at that bread for just a moment that you're holding in your hand. That represents the body of Christ, broken for you, given for your sins. So as we take this, what we're doing is we are, we're believing that, that this is symbolic and representative of the body of Christ. We believe that there's, there's something mysterious that happens when we commune with the Lord. Something sacred and something mysterious that happens. It's a grace that God has given us. So if you feel comfortable, you can pray along with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for your body. Thank you for forgiving me. You're my God. You're my King. You're my Lord. And you're my Savior. Let's eat in faith, church. So looking at the screen, it says, in the same way, also he took the cup after supper and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's go ahead and open up the juice now. So the juice represents the blood of Jesus. He was there at the Last Supper. He was celebrating Passover, and he was holding that cup up before them, before the disciples, and he said, this cup is the blood of the new covenant. It's representative of my blood, which is the, the blood of the new covenant. As we, we studied in Exodus, they, the Passover lamb, they took the blood and they put it over the, the doorpost. And when they put that blood over the doorpost, that was representative of them coming under the blood of the lamb, the sacrifice for their sins. And the death angel, when it came through Exodus, it passed over their house. The wrath of God passed over their house. So what we're doing here in the new covenant with Jesus, we're saying, this is the blood of the lamb, sacrificed for my sin. I come under his atoning sacrifice for my life and that's, here's the good news. That means the wrath of God is going to pass over your life. You will not pay for your sins. You will not be held accountable for your sins. Under the blood of Jesus Christ, he's paid for them all. That's the good news of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus today. So if you feel comfortable, you can pray with me. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for your blood. Thank you for the new covenant. Thank you for dying for my sins. You're my God. 
You're my king, you're my Lord, and you're my Savior. Let's drink in faith. All right, so people in the front row, you might want to watch your toes. Take that off first. Okay. Yeah, so you know, y'all people that are sitting up here, y'all are welcome to stand around the side if y'all want to, if y'all don't want to get splashed this week like you did last week. Brother, would you help him with those steps over there, please? So we should have some people that want to get baptized. I mean, I'm like looking around, I'm not seeing any of them. They went to go get ready, and um, oh, they're over there? All right, so where are they? They, are they hiding? Oh, they're in the next room. Excuse me. There they are. All right, we got people getting baptized and people that are going to be baptizing. So before we start this morning, every time we do this, I go through the same thing. And I know that some of y'all have never been around when I'm officiating baptisms, but here's the message I have for you. Please hear me this morning. This does not save you. Baptism never saved anyone. It does not save you. What we're doing here is this is representative, just like the communion. This is representative of the death, the burial, and the resurrection with Jesus, buried with Jesus in baptism, raised to a new life. Just like we saw the story of the whole nation of Israel going through the water. So the New Testament says they're baptized in the Red Sea into Moses. So what you're going to see here is you're going to see people that are getting baptized into the kingdom of God. Old identity is buried, sinner, lost, headed for hell. New identity come up out of the water, in Christ, saved, redeemed, no longer slaves, in the kingdom of God. That's good stuff. So, we've got some people here that are going to get baptized and some that are going to be helping out. I'll be doing the talking as they come up. So, we got the first one here is going to be Ellie and BJ. So BJ is going to come on in here and step in. There you go. It's a drop off right there. So Ellie, she, she has made her, her profession of faith. you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Do you believe he's a king of the kingdom of God? Do you believe that he's your king? Are you willing to submit to his kingdom authority rule in your life? All right, that is all good news. Then, upon your profession of faith, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Donnie Polly here. <laughs> 
Is this a surprise to anybody? It is? Yeah, I think he's surprising his family. So, O'Donnie, he is, um, man, this is a surprise to me also, you know, so um, I'm just, I'm making the assumption, you tell me, what are you doing here, and I'll tell them. Why do you want to do this? Because uh, I'm born again, I'm brand new. Amen. I feel like nine years ago, I was forced into this. Uh, I was baptized one time before, but I don't think it was real. And I feel like this is my time. All right, so he said he's baptized nine years ago. Hang on a second, hang on. He's baptized nine years ago. He felt like he was forced into it. He feels like now that he's been born again, has been redeemed, and it's his time, and this is for real. So this, this, Donnie, is a testimony to everybody here that you've been redeemed, that you've been set free, that you've been born again. So is that what your desire is, to testify to everybody your identity in Christ? Yes, sir. Do you believe that, that Jesus has saved you from your sins? I do. Do you believe he's a king of the kingdom of heaven? Are you willing to submit to his kingdom authority rule over your life? Yes, sir. All right. And upon that profession of faith, you got to hold your own nose. If you want it held, I'm not going to do it. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, so now we got Danielle Wiggins and Tracy Wiggins. Her uncle are coming up here. Tracy's going to be doing the dunking, and Danielle is going to be getting, getting dunked. So one drop off there. There we go, and then another one right here. So a few weeks ago, I was talking to the church, talking to the church about baptism and about everything that we talk about all the time, the baptism, it's, it's a testimony that's about all things being made new, that, you know what I mean, like it's like sometimes we come to a point in our life like we've well, been baptized before, but it's like now I just feel like I've been made new. It's a new beginning. It's like I've just stepped into the kingdom for real, and I just want to testify to everyone. So Danielle came down a few weeks ago and with tears in her eyes, and she said, you know, she's wanting to recommit her life to Christ. So Danielle, do you believe that Jesus is your Savior, that he's forgiven you of all of your sins, that he is the king of the kingdom of heaven? Are you willing to submit to his kingdom authority rule over your life? Yes. Then upon that profession of faith, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, so now we got Chris, and Chris works up there in the sound booth with Sean, and so Chris came a few weeks ago, and the same thing as, as many of the others, he said that, that, you know, he is recommitting his life to Christ, that so he feels like that, that this is a time that he wants to commit himself to Jesus, that he wants to make a public testimony to everyone that he is under the kingdom authority rule of Jesus. Am I accurate on that, Chris? So do you believe that Jesus has saved you from all your sins? Yes. Do you believe that he is a king of the kingdom of heaven? Yes. Are you willing to submit to his kingdom authority rule over your life? Yes. All right, then upon your profession of faith, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
I told y'all y'all could move before we started, but y'all stayed there. <laughs> All right, so now we have got Stephanie and Chris. So Stephanie, won't you swing around here on this side? So Stephanie's going to come around here. She's going to bring this. She's going to read that. Chris, you hold on back there, brother. Hold your spot. We'll let your wife go first. You tell me. Whichever one you want to do. You let me read it? Okay. All right. So Stephanie's got something that she wants read here. So this is her testimony. I want to start by saying life is messy. And I'm so thankful Jesus met me in my messy. He continues to do so daily. He's not scared of our messy. He took the penalty for my sin on the cross, oftentimes as a good friend of mine brought to my attention, I have played tug of war with Jesus. What I mean is, I confess my sins, but instead of forgiving myself, I have picked up my sins back up and crumbled under the condemnation. I'd be lying if I said this isn't a constant struggle, but Jesus graciously guides me back into the truth that he has already provided purification for my sin. He is so, so good. He loves me and has never left me. Even when I couldn't feel him, he's met, he's met me in the hardest season of my suffering I've ever endured. He's urged me to be obedient even when it doesn't make sense. Even when the suffering was unbearable. He is the anchor for my soul. He deserves my worship, my heart, my soul, my all. He deserves my obedience. He's called me to be bold for him. He's my hope and the joy of my salvation. He has brought me from death to life. He has resurrected this wretched sinner and called me out of bondage and into freedom because he has set me free. I declare I am free indeed. Jesus is my Lord and King, and I want to follow his example of baptism. He has renewed my faith and restored me to the joy of my salvation. On in the midst of hardship, it's time to celebrate the freedom he has called me to. It's time to celebrate the resurrection power of my Jesus. Amen. That's good. So you just go around and baptize you first. Yeah, so this is her husband, Crisp. He's going to do this, and then he's going to get baptized after this. So. <laughs> so, Stephanie, do you believe that Jesus is your Savior? Yeah, so when you just read, you know, you believe he's the king of the kingdom of heaven, yes. and you're willing to submit to his kingdom authority rule over your life. Yes. yes. Amen. Yeah, so then upon that profession of faith, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
So Chris, um, so I've been working with Chris for a little while here. We've been friends um, for a long time. And uh, so Chris has been through some hard stuff. He's been through some deep, deep struggles and doubts. And, and um, man, he's come out on the other side. And um, so he's been working his way through a book that we have in the room, the, the, um, room, the resource room called The Bondage Breaker. Have you experienced some freedom? Yeah. He says he's experienced some freedom. And, you know, he's no longer a slave. He's got a new life in Christ. And, man, I mean, I can see the, the, the testimony of just his whole attitude about life. I've seen it over and over again, just as God's been bringing him out of the darkness into the light. And so he told me that, that he wants to come as a testimony to you guys that he has saved, that he has set free, that he's a new person in Christ Jesus. So is that fair to say all that, Chris? Right. So do you, you do, you believe that Jesus has saved you from your sins, yeah. that you've been set free, that he is the king of the kingdom of heaven? Are you willing to submit to his kingdom authority rule? Yeah. All right. Then upon that profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Is that everybody? We get them all? All right. Are you going to talk in the microphone, D? Well. Okay, so okay. Uh, they have. Uh, nope, I can't use. <laughs> all right, Lord. I have watched these two go from um, completely we're done to this today. So if your marriage is not where it needs to be, the prayer that has been over it, the willingness to come under the kingdom authority. And so today as a new covenant, they are exchanging their rings again. And they're not only starting their baptism, but their fresh marriage, their fresh start over. Kiss the bride. All right, so if you would please stand up this morning. So I know that it's really wet and really messy up here, but. I want, to, I want to encourage you once again, you can go out around the side over there if you want to, to get to the cross, but I want to encourage you to put whatever it is that you put on that placard on the cross. And I got one more thing for you before you leave. So if there's somebody that you're lost, that's lost, that you're praying for, I want to invite you to put their name on that placard, but don't put their name on the cross. Put them at the foot. Put your placard at the foot of the cross. And we're going to join you in praying for that person if they're lost. So if there's someone that you're praying for to come to salvation or whatever it may be that you're praying for that person, then I want to invite you to come by one of these places, get another placard, write their name on it, put it down there. But everything else, when you put it on the cross, the good news is this, it is finished, it is done, it is over with. So just one more thing too, you know, you, you see transformed lives and that all comes from us joining God in what he's doing, praying. 
So we're gonna have a prayer service here, April the 22nd, here at the church, six o'clock. So if you wanna come out here, it's on a Saturday night for just a prayer service, then you're welcome to come on April the 22nd as well. So I hope that you enjoyed your time in God's house on Resurrection Sunday. So glad you, cho you chose to be with us. I'm going to pray us out this morning. So if you would, let's pray. Dear God, we are thank you for salvation. We thank you for the renewal of life. We thank you for everybody that was baptized this morning into Christ Jesus. What a glorious day it is. We thank you for the resurrection. So God, we just pray today that as we leave out of here, God, we pray that we will walk in that resurrection power of Jesus. Every single one of us. God, that we're thankful that you're making us new every single day. So God, I pray for the person here today that feels like life has boxed them in. God, I pray that they'll be looking to you right there in their circumstances for your deliverance, for your healing, for your resurrection power, oh God. So I'm gonna pray this over. It's out of Numbers 6, 24 through 26. As you leave out today, I pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in Jesus' name as you go.